God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings joy to the to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. God dwells in that city. It cannot be destroyed. From the very break of day, God will protect it. The nations are in chaos. Their kingdoms crumble. God's voice thunders and the earth melts. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come, see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow, snaps the spear, and burns the shields. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Maybe it feels like that when you are reading the Bible, like there's so many voices going on around you. And we're going to have a few more voices going on around you because we're going to dismiss our kids um, that are in preschool through third grade. I don't know how many of you know that psalm, be still and know that I am God. But I think maybe our society has lost the art of being still. I mean, consider the average American morning, and I promise I've only had one and a half cups of coffee. Ready? Because you wake up to an alarm as it goes off at 6 in the morning. So you stumble to the shower as you see one of your neighbors running by the window at 6 a.m. and you think mean thoughts about them. And it's Tuesday, so garbage trucks are starting to go by, complete with the boop, 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 you know, that sounds like your alarm is this glistening, trickling waterfall. And so you get into the shower, which actually the garbage truck wakes up everyone in your house, so the race is on to find out who's going to get hot water and in the shower first. And so you get showered, you shave whatever you need to, you get dressed, and you move out to the kitchen. You go to grab a cereal box from the cupboard, you find out it's empty, you make a snide remark about who puts an empty box back, you realize it may have been you, so you decide to keep that one to yourself. And you find another box of cereal, you grab the milk, you pour it, and you decide that you're going to have some coffee in a moment of peace. Well, a piece of news, because you open the internet or you actually read the paper, whichever your preference, and you find out economic disasters, natural disasters, homicides, terrorism, political rumblings, and of course some sort of scandal. So you decide that maybe the sports page will offer something better, except we live in Minnesota, so no luck there. <laughs> you open your news feed on your Facebook because you decide to catch up on your friends, you check your Twitter, you tweet about your upcoming day, you check your email, you check your text messages, you open your Bible because you are going to have some devotions. You're going to have some quiet time with God. Except uh, you pick somewhere to read and you begin, except it's kind of hard to hear what God's saying with the fight coming down the hallway, so you decide 
that you remember at that moment that your oil needs to be changed in your car, you forgot to make the appointment, so you spend 20 seconds in high-quality prayer, God, please bless my day, and you call the car place as you um, open up the traffic website to see, am I going to go up 35, am I going to go up 35E, W, Cedar, what am I going to do, and you get promptly asked to be put on hold. Um, But your call is valuable to us as they play uh, the nice, calming elevator music and continue to say your call is important to us. You decide to play a mindless game on the computer. As you wait, um, you post your feelings about waiting on Facebook, and then you decide to give up, hang up, walk out the door, come back in and go, oh, wait, I forgot to say I love you to the people that sort of care about me or I care about them. And you get in the car because you're going to have peace and quiet in the car until you get about two blocks away, and you hear the radio come on, and you need the new and improved Rosetta Stone sound language for only six easy payments of $79.99. This can be yours, because everybody needs to know another language. And so you decide to switch the radio station to a different radio station. You hear about the new and improved South Beach diet. Lose twice the weight with half the price. You know you need it. And then you decide to switch it again, and you find out there's another traffic report, two accidents, use caution, you pick the wrong way. And so digital billboards scream, you know, stop in, buy now, save, interest-free, sell. And you decide you need to plug in your iPod because it's going to be a long wait. So you turn it on, you flip to your Christian music, your praise songs, and you hear Chris Tomlin's This is the Joy joy We Make, or the Noise We Make, and then you turn it over to David Crowder and you hear Make a Joyful Noise, and then you go to the oldie but somewhat goodie switch. But if we're adding to the noise and you decide to just turn off the song... And you think, maybe I should have taken the bus. As you look at the clock and it says 7.41. Maybe, maybe we've lost the ability to be still. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I'm God. And we could think it was just a problem in our day. But, uh, you know, as I read scripture, I think it was a problem in Jesus' day too. And so we come to the text that we're looking at today from Luke 10, and we see this little story that's on one particular day, in one particular moment, in the life of Jesus and the life of two of his friends, two sisters. Maybe you know the story of Mary and Martha, and if you do, have you ever, ever asked yourself, why is it there? Like, why did this writer, Luke, decide to put it in this particular section? In this particular spot, is he saying something more than just two sisters, one who's distracted and one who's not? And I think the answer is yes. So as we go to Luke 10, I just ask us to pause from our caffeinated introduction and pray. Um, God, we come to your word and we believe that it's living. Um, We believe that it speaks to us. And no matter where we were at today, what we think about the Bible or what we think about our lives right now. We just say, okay, we'll listen. Whether we've heard it a hundred times, or whether we've never heard this story, we ask that it would speak to us, not just about that time, but about our lives too, and that we'd have the courage to do something about it. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you don't know the story, it's in Luke 10, starting in verse 38. Jesus has been on a journey and his disciples have been with him. And so then he comes to this place in, in uh, verse 38. Jesus and his, his disciples were on their way. And he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened their home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet 
listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all these things and these preparations that had to be made. And she came to Jesus and she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Jesus answers. You're worried and upset about many things, but few are needed. And indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So what's going on around this chapter? Well, in Luke chapter 9, he, he like makes a shift in a you know, section break, and in 9, he sends out the 12 disciples. So Jesus has been going around and teaching. In Luke 4, we find out Jesus says, hey, this is my mission. This is what I'm about. I'm about restoring sight to the blind. I'm, I'm about... I'm setting prisoners free. I'm about teaching, giving hope to the captives and those that are less fortunate. And then he goes and does those things. And in chapter 9, he tells the disciples, these 12 people that have been following him for one or two years, maybe even three years at this point, now you go and you do this. And so the 12 go and they go out and they're like, we did it. We were actually able, like what you say is true. And so this starts going and the disciples come back. And then in Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 72 kingdom workers So now these are other people that have been listening to Jesus. And then they go out and do what Jesus was doing. And they come back amazed. And basically Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then he prays this prayer that I think is really important understanding kind of the whole chapter of Luke 10. And it's found in Luke 10, 21. And Jesus says, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, I thank you that you've hid things from people that are wise and clever. And you've revealed it to those, as one translation says, the innocent newcomers. You've revealed it to those that are childlike. And God, it pleased you to do it this way. And then what happens? Well, Jesus actually, or Luke, tells this story about someone who's wise and intelligent. The Bible calls them a religious expert. Or maybe your translation says a teacher in the law comes to Jesus and says, you know, how do you slice and dice this particular section of scripture? I just, I, I just need to know. And Jesus says, well, how do you read it? And so they get kind of in this back and forth nuance of what exactly the Bible says. And then this particular man on this particular day who thinks of himself as wise and clever says, yeah, exactly what does that mean, Jesus? Because I want to know if there's a loophole, I either want to use that loophole to my advantage or I don't want anyone to use it. That's what he was going for in Luke 10. And so Jesus tells a story instead of giving him a direct answer. He tells the wise and clever man standing with these wise and clever people about a story about some wise and clever people. I know that was a lot of wise and clevers. A man goes down and gets hurt and some wise and clever people are too religious, they're too distracted, or, or they just don't care, but they walk by this scene. And then the simple man, the innocent newcomer, in fact, the one with childlike faith that everybody else would have disregarded, is the one who actually sees the need and meets the need. And in that particular moment, this term called the Good Samaritan is born. And maybe you've heard the phrase before. And it's just a story of the wise missing it 
and the unwise finding it and doing the right thing. And then the writer tells right after that this story about these two women, one who's distracted and one who gets it, one who's too busy and one who chooses the simple thing. And, and this is at a time where you have to remember what Luke's purpose is. Luke wants everybody to know that, that those who think they're in might not be in, and those who aren't in the kingdom of God are really in. And so he tells the story about a woman, Mary, who sits at Jesus' feet. And that's just a Jewish way of saying Jesus was, like Mary was one of Jesus' disciples. Sitting at the feet of Jesus meant Mary was one of his disciples at a time where women were not considered able to be a disciple of Jesus. And so, if you're thinking, like, if you've read Matthew, or Luke 5, 6, 7, or 8 before, you should be going, man, it's like Jesus is saying everybody can be a disciple of Jesus. Anybody can do this. Exactly. Anybody can be a disciple of Jesus. Except the ones who have the hardest time being a disciple of Jesus are the wise, the intelligent, the religious, and the distracted. Those people seem to have a really, really hard time being a disciple of Jesus. Now, before we get too hard on, you know, the people in the story, let me just ask you, how many of you get worried and upset over many things? Like, for example, how many of you would say that occasionally, or maybe often, you feel stressed? Okay, we've got like half of us who are honest and half are liars. No, just kidding. Maybe you're not. Now, how many of you would say that occasionally or maybe or often you sometimes feel financial stress? Okay. Now, how many of you would say that occasionally or, or, or maybe a little bit often you wish you had a little more time to yourself because you just don't do enough for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how many of you would say occasionally or, or maybe often you wish you had time to spend with the people you care about? Now, occasionally or maybe you wish you had a little bit more time to, to really understand who God is or, or what the scriptures say. I think that many of us become worried and distracted about little things. And when we do that, it's often because we've lost the margin in our life, and we have a very hard time just being still. So as we talk about margin, the definition I think that works for me is the amount available beyond the amount necessary. So it's, margin is the difference between what you have and what you need. So if you have 30 minutes and you need to be somewhere, and it's going to take 25 minutes to get there, you have five minutes of margin. If you have $100 in your pocket or in your checkbook and you have $80 worth of bills, then you have $20 of margin. It's the difference between what you have and, and what you need. And, and I don't think very many of us live this way. I, th- I think our society tells us to live with no margin. It tells us to push the limit, buy more, do more, accomplish more, get more, conquer more, 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 and it, we need to work more in order to get more, and we need to put our kids in more activities so that they can be successful. And, and then I'm going to tell you as the pastor that you need to do more than just show up on a Sunday, and you're going to be like, ah! But maybe, before the little more than Sunday comment, our lives were a little out of control before that point. 
maybe a lot of us live at a really unsustainable pace. We just go and we go and we go, and I might even go so far as to say we live at an unbiblical pace. And so what does that look like? If, if someone said, um, you're, are you really enjoying your life? Like if someone just paused and asked you, like, do you enjoy your life? How many of us that know Jesus would be like, I'd like to get back to you on that because I got to go, so I really can't answer that. Okay, see you later. I think some of us go so fast we don't even know if we're enjoying our life. And, and the thing as I was preparing for this week, the, the question that kind of kept resonating in my mind was, if Jesus is good news, are our lives good news to other people? Like if people looked at your life and at my life as you walk through your day, as you lived your life, and this is for people who like say, yes, I have a commitment to Jesus, I follow Jesus. Um, how many of them would look at your life and go, that's good news? That's the life I want to have. See, I think part of living well and living in good news is, is living with margin. When we, when we become worried and upset about many, many things, we lose the margin. And when we lose our margin, we speed up literally and figuratively. We go faster. We drive faster. We need to be in a, like a crazy driver um, support group because we weave in and out of people because we're trying to make up the margin. We like have 25 minutes that we have to get there and we are 20 minutes, we have 20 minutes necessary and so we figure out a way to make up that margin and then when we lose our margin, we start to stress out and and we say things like, light a fire under it, come on, we need to get to church. If we're going to be late, we're going to end up in the front row and that guy spits and we need to praise God together and why didn't you get in the shower? Didn't you know Jesus says the early bird gets the worm and you need to have peace? Come on! Not that that happened in our house today because I left early. (laughs) I think when we lose margin, we start to fight. Things get under our skin. We get agitated. Maybe that only happens if you live with other people or if you're married. Um, (laughs) We do. You spent money on what? I can't believe it. Now we don't have any margin. Um, That's going to be your phrase this week. We don't have any margin. And if you break something, you're going to be like, now we have two problems because you broke it and we can't fix it. And and we lose the margin, so we, we fight. When we lose the margin, we multitask. Maybe you've been in a meeting with someone and all of a sudden their cell phone goes off and they go, oh, you're more important than this. This text is more important than the person I'm talking to. So not that you really say that. One time... One time I wrote on Facebook, I'm going to go spend a great afternoon with my family. And my friend wrote, well, then go spend it with them. <laughs> Get off Facebook. I think when we lose margin, we stop making time for relationships. We lose time with our friends. Somebody says, hey, do you want to just hang out? Like, I haven't seen you in a while. And you respond, you know, like, I'm way behind in classes. I'm dating the library right now. So sorry, we don't get to spend any time together. Or, or you have uh, a little child coming up and saying, Dad, will you read to me? And, and no, I'm, I'm too busy. Or, or Mom, will you, like, will you play catch with me? And um, no, I got I to gotta do this. And, and hey, Dad, can we have lunch before we go back to college? And, and no, I'm working on a presentation. I'm, I'm too busy. And, and we, even sometimes when we're present with those we love, we're not actually fully Our body is there, but our mind is elsewhere. And so we lose the margin, we lose relationships, and then 
And then not only do we lose our relationships with people, I think when we lose margin, we stop making margin and time for our relationship with God. And so uh, I remember uh, many years ago when I was in college, I was coaching a, a swim team, and one of my high school girls said, I don't have any time to pray. I'm just so busy. I can't even pray. And I said, well, you know, did you, do you go to church? Do you talk to somebody about that? Yeah, I went and talked to my priest. You know what he told me? He told me, like, do you take a shower every day? You could just, you could just pray in the shower. And, and she was a teenage girl. So at 10, I mean, I'm not making, I'm not trying to be mean, but like that's 10 or 15 minutes of high quality, you know, maybe 20. But, and, and, and praying in the shower is not bad. It's really a lot, maybe, maybe better than praying when you're sitting next to, in the thing next to the shop, but, but maybe, I was debating on keeping that in, but it's funny, but maybe, praying in the shower, praying on the thing next to the shop, maybe God just wants us to be still and be fully present with him, not showering, not using the bathroom, not distracted by something else. Maybe it's just a walk without headphones, thinking about God. Maybe it's doing an activity that's not stressful. And it's just thinking about him. And so I think when this happens, we have to look at back to our definition. Margin is the amount available beyond what is needed. And when we don't have any more margin, are too many things falling into the needed category? So think about this with me. Like, we elevate good things, and then all of a sudden they become God things. And so we're distracted by popularity or productivity, and so we have to, think, we have to work on the people that, that are going to say things to us because we want to be popular. That's needed, and, and we have to be productive because we've got to have the people around us that we work with think that we are good workers, and so that's needed. And then you know the house that we have doesn't satisfy the people that are in our, our life, and so that's... We need a, We have a new need, and then the car that we have isn't isn't good enough. So now that's a new need, and 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 maybe we need our kids involved in the best opportunity. So we're driving into the city to make sure they get into the best place so that they can make it on Broadway, and that's needed. And then we take them to the best coaches so they can get Division One scholarships because that's needed. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. In fact, some of those things are very good. I just don't think they're God. I think some of those things that are needed maybe don't fit into the needed category. I think those are, are wants or those are good opportunities. Because when we start saying this is needed, I think we get into this dangerous place where we, all of a sudden we put it in this category that really is supposed to be reserved for God. And when we put things in a category that's supposed to res- be reserved for God that's not God, it's idolatry. And Jesus just says, keep it simple. I mean, that's what he's really saying. In Luke chapter 10, when, when Mary sits at Jesus' feet, she's just keeping it simple. I want to I hear what Jesus has to say. I don't want to be distracted by anything else. I'm keeping it simple. When Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan about like doing the right thing, he's just saying, keep it simple. You see a need, someone has, has a need to be rescued, you, you go and, and you help them. That's a simple Faith and simple compassion. And then if you look at the next chapter, in Luke chapter 11, what happens right after this? The disciples come and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And what does he do? He gives a simple prayer. Our Father, 
who's in heaven. You're holy. Give us what we need today. I'm not trying to make light of the Lord's Prayer, but when you think about the Lord's Prayer, it's a simple prayer. So he's saying a simple faith with simple compassion and a simple prayer. And if we can just slow it down enough, give a little bit of margin in our lives, to get it simple, I think God, in his Holy Spirit, in his sovereignty, will give us and lead us in the way that we need. And when we can get quiet, we can realize those things that maybe got into the needed category that shouldn't have been. When we ask, I think, I think God will answer. I think he's big enough for me for that. For me, um, going to the Boundary Waters a few weeks ago was a time to get quiet. And I really wanted to have an agenda. I really did. God, I need these things answered. You know, because like I'm the pastor and everybody's expecting me to lead. And, and if I don't have a clear answer for me, I mean, I just, I need this. Or, or God, you know, I, I really want you to come through in this way because, you know, we need this for, for this community. And I'm not even asking for myself. I'm asking for all these, all these people. And I, I didn't. I just said, you know what, God? And this, I don't have very many of these moments where I'm like, oh, I did the right thing. Usually I have a lot of moments where I'm like, oh, I got to tell you about something I screwed up in. But at this particular moment, on this particular day, I said, you know what, God, I'm not going to have any agenda. I'm just going to go. I'm going to paddle. I'm going to fish. I'm going to listen. There's a lot of things I want to say. But I know that I just need to stop and listen. And I realized it had been many, many months that I just stopped for a long time, like more than five minutes more than 20 minutes, more than an hour, to just listen. I'm not saying you have to do it like me, but that's, that's one of the ways it was for me. The, the time that I remember before that was two years before that, almost a year and a half, and it was in Honduras, and there was no cell phones, there was no electricity, there was no billboards, there was no white noise, there was no audio noise, there was no visual noise. There was just time where I saw and looked and heard God. And he said, through that, experience like start this church called restoration for us as a nation i think september 11 2001 was a time where we paused where we stopped where we listened where many of us prayed um where many people that hadn't prayed for a long time prayed where we looked to god for our our answers and we and we looked to god for trust and our security which maybe we hadn't been doing before that. Maybe we'd put our trust in, in some other things, some, some displaced things. Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I'm God. And so what does it look like this week for you to make enough margin for you to remember God? For you to remember his goodness, to remember his call into your life. Because I don't want us to be a really busy church. I want us to be intentional. An intentional, missional, God-driven, Holy Spirit-centered um, and powered and Christ-centered community. That's, that's what I want for us. For us to see things and use our God-given discernment to go, that is something that we can invest in, but that's busyness. That's what I want. I'm... Maybe you've had to have come-to-Jesus meetings. I had to have several of those um, in high school. 
with my parents and my girlfriend's parents. Um, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting where we're going to talk about what you're going to need to focus on. Jesus has his own come to Jesus meeting in Matthew 11:28, when he says, come to me, cheesy, I know, but come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I'm going to use a different translation because he talks about a yoke and putting that on and Maybe it gets a little confusing, so I'm going to add some different words to our Come to Jesus meeting right now. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come to me, all you who are stressed out, all you who are overwhelmed, all of you who can't get it all done. Come to me, you who are single parents and you feel like you're going to fall apart. Come to me, you who are in business, who feel like you're either going to lose it all or you have to manage it all or you can't get it all done. Come to me, a mom who has no margin for herself. Come to me. Men who feel insignificant if you're not busy all the time, come to me. You who are tired and worn out and burned out on religion for religion's sake. Get away with me, Jesus says, and you will recover your life. Jesus says, I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Put on my teachings Learn to live in the rhythms of my life and my grace. I'm not going to lay anything too heavy on you, something that doesn't fit right. Just keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. That, my friends, is good news. If we can have a come-to-Jesus meaning like that, I think our lives will be good news. No matter if you have a hard time with religion or you hate religion or if you're just weary and burned out on life, Jesus wants us to walk with him and to live with him and to do the things that he does and to be in rhythm with Jesus' life. And so that's where we need to pause today and close is, does our li- is our life in rhythm with Jesus? And if it's not, then it just takes confession. Maybe something... Like this, like, God, I I don't live in rhythm with you. Um, I don't live according to your ideals. I'm trusting in myself or I'm trusting in my productivity or I'm trusting in my efforts. And I need to put that away. It's exhausting. I need, God, to ask you to forgive me for always going or I need you to forgive me for being so focused on myself or I need you to forgive me for my sins. God, I need you to be Lord. I need you to be leader. I need you to take over. I need you to save me from this marginless existence. God, I need you to restore me to the way that you intended me to live in rhythm with you. Teach me how to listen to your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. It can be as simple as that. If, if you're someone who follows Jesus, then then we've got to go back to that same question. Is our life in rhythm with Jesus? Does our life look like Jesus' life? Would someone who sees our life say, that's good news? And I'm not saying it's about being fake and happy all the time, because it's not. But having this authentic relationship, the Jews called it shalom. It's not just peace, but it's contentment. It's connectedness to God It's an integrated 
holistic life that has joy that kind of bubbles up from it and radiates from our life? Do you have shalom today? And if you don't, you can ask God because God wants to give us that. He wants our life to be good news. He wants other people to see us and go, what is that? Because I believe that the good news of Jesus is good news for our lives and meant to be good news for those around us. And by getting a little bit of margin, by keeping it simple, I believe that we can live that way. Do you? Invite the worship team to come back up and just celebrate that God is big enough to give us margin in our life. God, you who created time, sometimes to our frustration, um, we ask that we would learn how to live in rhythm with you. God, that our life would be good news. And God, that it's not even about our efforts. God, that it is about your power coming into our lives. We pray, whether we're far from God or, or God, we're near to you, we pray that your rhythms and your power and your, your peace, your shalom, would come in. That we'd radiate that, not through forced efforts, but through unforced rhythms of your grace and your love. Teach us what it means to have margin with you to remember, not just on a very momentous day like 10 years after September 11th, but, but God, every day. May we take a moment to remember you and your goodness and how you flow out of our lives. In Jesus' name.